Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by MLB.com national content editor, Matt Myers. On today's show, we're going to talk about the big moves in Toronto. We're going to talk about Michael Brantley, surprisingly going back to the Astros, the Yankees adding DJ Mayhew and Corey Kluber, and talk about the upcoming Hall of Fame announcement before we are joined by our friend Padres.com beat reporter AJ Casavell to talk about Joe Musgrove and all the moves San Diego has made this winter. We'll come back and each pick a under-the-radar free agent you should know more about and finish off our show. But first, Toronto. Um, for a brief moment, it seemed like they had gotten George Springer and Michael Brantley. That didn't happen, obviously, but they do have George Springer. They do have Tyler Chatwood. They did add Kirby Yates, I think. Matt, I would love to know your opinion on this. Is George Springer underrated? Like, I look at him as a, you know an elite superstar. Like, over the last six seasons... He's like a top five outfielder, both by my eye test and by wins above replacement. He is a top 20 player overall, not just outfielders in that time. And yet I don't feel like people view him that way. What do you think about that? I think that after the Astros won the World Series in 2017 and I, he was World Series MVP, if I'm not mistaken, and was great, he, he ascended to that level. Um, I think his association with the sign-stealing scheme – um, and just that whole Astros team just tarnishes his reputation. Like, you know, whether, whatever you think about how much the the sign stealing may or may not have helped the Astros um, and, you know, whatever, what, you know, how whatever different individual players, like just an association with that team, I think makes people understandably skeptical. Um, now, I think he probably put some of those fears to rest with some of his performance the last couple of years when there's no evidence that the Astros were doing doing anything uh that unseemly um, with a weighted runs created plus of 157 in 2019, where 100 is average, and 146 in the abbreviated 2020 season, um, which were, you know, both of those were better than anything he'd ever done before. So um, I'm with you. I think that um, he is a superstar, and I think this is great for the Blue Jays. It's exciting. It feels like they kind of were like, in on a lot of free agents, and then there was like they 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 wouldn't get one, and there were the leaks from the front office being like, "Well, we 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 finished second, you know." And it was like, as a fan, you kind of get like, "Oh, come on, you know, you roll your eyes." Like, "Well, I don't want to finish second anymore. Like, bring me bring me the player." And uh, I think it's great that they got that that uh, Springer. That's an exciting young team. They can compete with the Yankees. They can play with the, compete with the Rays. Um, it should be it should be cool. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, going back to Springer's reputation and the whole science stealing thing, I think there are probably other players there who bear the brunt of it a little more than he does just because of the consistency. You know, like he, first of all, he was a, a first round draft pick, you know, so he's not some like out of nowhere guy. He was a guy who was expected to be very good. And from pretty much, you know, not day one, obviously he had some strikeout issues, but he's been above average every single year of his career. His best year was in 2019. Uh, if there's a question to me, it's, you know, what is his future in the outfield? Because he is, he, we look at him as a center fielder, but he's actually played more of his games uh, in right. And I think part of that is because of just the way the Astros had their outfield alignment. Um, I think he's fine. I don't think he's a long-term center fielder, but I don't think he needs to be. And I think people maybe underestimate how bad the outfield defense was in Toronto last year. If you look at outs above average, they were dead last. Um, I like Teoscar Hernandez a lot. He should not be playing center field. Randall Gritchick is fine. He should not be playing center field. So now if you've got Springer in center 
and Teoscar and Wright, who was really good last year, and Lourdes Curiel Jr., who I think is also maybe a little underrated. I was looking this up for an MLB Network show recently. Over the last two seasons, if you were to look at the best hitters in baseball against non-fastballs, against curveballs and off-speed pitches, number one, Mike Trout, number two, Lourdes Curiel Jr. That's pretty cool, and he's relatively young. Um, So I think this is a big get for the Blue Jays, but I also think people are maybe looking at this and saying, well... There's the Blue Jays. Now they're the favorites in the East. And I'm not quite there yet. It's almost like the Yankees are maybe underrated because I still think the Yankees are like considerably better than the Blue Jays. I, I'm with you just because the the, the Blue Jays, um, I look at their starting pitching and it does not inspire a lot of um, confidence for me as much as I like. Yunjin Ru, he has never really been a durable guy. Um, and then you get into, you start looking at the rotation, and it's like, oh, is their number two starter Robbie Ray? You know, and that's another guy who's wildly inconsistent. And Nate Pearson is an exciting young prospect, but like, is he really going to give you serious bulk innings in 2021 after last year's abbreviated season? And he had, um, he had, was, I think he was coming off Tommy John surgery um, coming into last year. So like, it's, you know, it's, he's, it's. I don't know where they're going to get innings. That's really the question, right? And I think that in a year where teams are going to, because it's going to be another weird year where we don't know, you know, like we, I don't know where they're going to get that those reliable innings, and that's a big question for me. I think there's, and for that reason, I actually think there's a fairly wide error bar on on, on this team. Yeah, I think you're right, and I don't think they're going to be the ones to go get Trevor Bauer, but I do think they need like reliable mid-rotation innings like, I don't know, Jake Odorizzi maybe as someone who fits there. The other question I have about them is, is what does the infield look like? Like we have heard a lot about Vlad Guerrero Jr. trying his best to uh, go back to third base. And I know he's young, but it's, it's not going to happen, right? Like there's no way he's a regular third baseman there again. So then if he's your first baseman and Rowdy Telez is like, you know, first baseman DH, you know, Biggio at second, Bichette at short, Where's your third baseman? Now they have options, right? Because Biggio and Bichette could potentially each move over to third if you get a second baseman. If you get a shortstop, maybe they could trade for Chris Bryant. You know, maybe they could sign Justin Turner. Um, I sort of like the idea of them improving a really poor defense and getting Colton Wong and moving Biggio over to third. Like they have a lot of options, but there. What would your over under be on number of games? Let's assume a full 162 that Vlad Guerrero Jr. would play at third base next year because I'm putting it at like 15. <laughs> I think I'd probably. I think I. I think I'd be about in the same range. You know, I mean, it, he's a fascinating player. Um, I, I want to see him succeed. I think it's you know exciting. I mean, you know, his dad is such an icon. He's shown flashes of becoming an icon on his own, but the results haven't really matched. You know, the the hype. That's. I mean, that's fine. He's still like twenty two years old. But even like you look at, I look at you know, the projections on Fangraphs, and they're projecting him for like a nine, almost a nine hundred OPS, which feel feels pretty ambitious for a guy who really hasn't been that great as a hitter at the major league level. So for that reason, I almost be like, I want him to be in a position first base slash DH where he can just focus on hitting and get the most out of him there because that's where his value is always going to be anyway is in the bat. And like, there's a lot of like second base types available if they're willing to move um, Biggio to third base where I think that they, they, the, the, the third, the third base free agent pool is, 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 is a little more shallow, but second base, you have a few interesting names. Like you mentioned Wong, Cesar Hernandez, like, that they could, I think, you know, really improve the team and also put Vlad in more of a position to succeed. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So we agree they're behind the Yankees. Do you like them better than the Rays right now in the East? 
Yeah, I kind of think, I mean, just because the Rays, I mean, there's, you know, they they have some like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of questions, right? They, they don't have Charlie Morton, who is very good for them. They trade away Blake Snell. And while I think that trade actually could could work out pretty well for them, because I'm, I'm, I'm maybe more of a, a low man on, on Blake Snell, like the guys they brought in, like uh, Luis Patino, it's like they're... There's questions like we don't like know. Gonna... <laughs> so it's I I I I take the I take the Jays ahead of them, but I still think that there's there's a lot of variance. Even even like you know they made some moves in the bullpen this week, right? They 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 signed Kirby Yates, where like there's a lot of upside to that signing, but like he also barely pitched last year because he got hurt. And it's like, well, how good is Kirby Yates, right? And like if it's if he if he's unavailable or bad, and you're relying on him to be your ace reliever, well, like that's that really it's kind of some of the, the variants I'm talking about is, is right there in, in, the, in that deal. Yeah. And there is uh, this is extremely premature, obviously um, there is also the open question about where they're going to play this year. It was reported. They may have to start the season at their spring training home, training home in Dunedin. And if that ends up being true, I can't wait to look into it because the dimensions of that ballpark, yeah, it's 363, I believe to right center, which would be the shortest in baseball. So that will be a, a lot of fun to dig into, but obviously premature. Uh, hopefully they get to play a lot of games in Toronto. And part of the reason I want them to play games in Toronto as we move on to our three batter minimum is because the Astros would visit at some point. And I would love to know what Blue Jays fans will do when Michael Brantley comes up to the plate. It was reported briefly that he had signed a three-year deal with the Astros and reported by like, you know, reputable sources, um, you know, Ken Rosenthal among them. He was not the first, there were a couple others. And then all of a sudden he hadn't agreed and then all of a sudden he was going back to Houston on a two-year deal. I don't know the backstory of all this, but I will be fascinated to find out. And what I keep coming back to is he matters a lot more for Houston than he does for Toronto. Because Toronto maybe already has too many outfielders. They definitely would have with him. Whereas the Astros had Kyle Tucker and, you know, you can't see me making question mark hands, but that's what I'm doing right now. Um, even now they could still use a center fielder. They could use probably Jackie Bradley. But he does go back to Houston. Uh, they re-signed Jason Castro, who has been around that organization forever. He was drafted by them a million years ago, made his debut when they were wearing red and playing in the National League. And I think Jason Castro was one of your guys. Like, didn't you talk about him on the show a couple weeks ago? Yeah, he was one of my like free agents who should be talking more about. And I I really like their catching tandem. I think like just because I think left-handed hitting catchers in this day and age are really valuable when you're not asking if you're not the, the catchers who can catch 135 games are so rare. So you're almost certainly gonna do some sort of job share. So like when you can get like a, a a left-handed hitting catcher to like form like a like a real like solid platoon for a job share, there's like something really really nice about that from a roster management standpoint. And Castro is like a solid catcher, and Martin Maldonado is pretty good. So it's like I, I like their catching situation. Yeah, I think it's I think it's um, maybe better than it looks. It's not long term, right? Because both of those guys no. are a little bit older. <laughs> but um, the Astros, I mean, the, that whole division is kind of weird to me. Because this is not the same Astros team it was. Like, there's no Springer, uh, there's no Garrett Cole, uh, there's no Charlie Morton. Obviously, Verlander's hurt, but they still have that infield. You know, like full of superstars. Um, they have Greinke, and I think better starting pitching than people give them credit for. Like, Framber Valdez is pretty good last year. I like Christian Javier a lot. Jose Urquidy, Lance McCullers. Like, that's that's decent. Maybe one of these years, Farce Whitley will actually show up. I feel like we've been saying that for like six years now. And then when you look at the rest of the West. Texas is not anywhere near contending. Seattle is not, um, at least I don't believe so. The A's are still going to be good, but they have, at the moment, you know, lost some pretty big pieces in free agency. Hendricks is gone. Semyon has not signed. And um, I like to think the Angels, at some point, will make that big move, but they they haven't yet. So 
I'm kind of talking myself into the Astros being the favorite in that division again, even though I don't feel that strongly about it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, projections on fan graphs, they're really high on the Astros. I'm a little more skeptical because they're, you know, they're still, you look at the the depth charts on fan graphs, it's, you know, projecting four war, four wins above replacement for Jose Altuve. I don't totally write him off because of a bad 40 games in, in 2020, but man, he was terrible last year. And like, I don't really know what to make of him right now. They're projecting five war for Carlos Correa. That's also seems, I love Carlos Correa, but he's been pretty inconsistent in his career. Jordan Alvarez, did he play all last year? And they're projecting four war for him. So like there's, to me, there, there's, a, this is another team where there's a fairly wide variance on. And I, that's why I think that like this division is kind of wide open. If the Angels do sign Trevor Bauer, I think they're right there with the Astros. But until they do, I think they're a notch below. I think that's fair. Um, I'm a little higher than you are on Altuve just because he had such like a consistent run of success. And, you know, I know enough not to put too much to too much stock into small samples, but he crushed the ball in the playoffs. Right? Like I know we talked about his defensive issues. He had five home runs against Oakland and Tampa Bay. And I guess I don't have the numbers directly in front of me. That number of plate appearances is probably like, 30% of his regular season plate appearances, given the numbers. I mean, so, I mean, to be fair, like if I'm looking at like these war projections, I'm probably, I'm more confident in Altuve being four war than I am in Correa being five war and or Alvarez being four war. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, Alvarez, it's so, I can't think of another guy who had such serious knee problems at such a young age, but then if he's going to be a DH, maybe it's okay because he's never going to have to run. So, yeah, I mean, they also signed Pedro Baez, uh, who's like a decently competent, maybe underrated reliever who we haven't really talked about. I want to talk myself into the Astros partially because we sort of wrote them off, right? Like with the scandal and everybody getting fired and the big names leaving. And people forget they came within one game of the World Series last year. (laughs) Like they were pretty good. And I think they are going to be good. But you're right. If the Angels actually do go out and sign Trevor Bauer, that changes things. There was also a report this morning that the Braves are interested in JT Romuto, but that report also came with the caveat, so is a West Coast team. And I can't think of who that would be if it's not the Angels, it's not the Padres, probably not the Dodgers. The A's aren't going to sign him. The Giants have a ton of catchers. It has to be the Angels. Like I don't think that would happen, um, but that would certainly mix things up. All right. So the Astros are not the only team who have made some moves. The Yankees have brought back DJ LeMahieu and they have signed Corey Kluber. And I'm always fascinated when a when a team returns one of their uh, the players they already had because Yankee fans are excited LeMahieu was back. He was very popular there. But it also sort of feels like teams don't get as much credit for bringing back the same guys as they do for signing new guys. Like I remember, gosh, this must be four or five years ago at this point, where the Dodgers, like their big free agent moves, they signed Justin Turner and they signed Kenley Jansen and somebody else. I can't remember, maybe Rich Hill. <laughs> And then there were stories. Well, the Dodgers didn't add anybody. They don't. They didn't make any moves, even though they signed like these three really good players to you know hundreds of million dollars worth of contracts. So the Yankees have DJ LeMahieu back, which is a really good thing. On the other hand, they are now sort of locked into Glaber Torres playing shortstop. I'm not convinced he can do that, and I'm certainly not saying they shouldn't have signed LeMahieu because obviously you know he's been fantastic for them. Matt, are they going to get a shortstop, or are they really going to go with Torres all year? I think they're going to go with Torres at least for one more year, at least to start the year, and sort of hope that he hits enough to to kind of paper over the you know defensive shortcomings. And I think that like it's it's one of those where if 
you know, he hits like he did in 2019, you kind of forget about it. And then if he hits like he did in 2020, that's the thing about 2020. It's like when he's not hitting, suddenly those those uh, defensive shortcomings become a lot more uh, – they get a lot more attention, right? So um, I think you, he's young enough and presumably will hit well enough that you'll kind of – I think they'll give him – give him that um that chance because i mean i guess you could you, you i mean lemay versatile enough that you could you could you know spot him at first base and you know he's hits well enough you could dh him because that's I mean, to me the, the the thing with the yankees is what are you going to get from aaron josh and john carlos stanton because they're never seemingly healthy for a full season together and until they do that there's probably going to always be like dh at bats for the yankees in which they could cycle through some of these um some of these players yeah, I also really liked that they signed Corey Kluber for one year, and I think it was $11 million. And obviously, there's a tremendous amount of risk here because he's barely pitched at all for the last two years. And getting hit by a comebacker and breaking his arm, that might be a fluke, but destroying your shoulder like he did last year is certainly not a fluke for a pitcher. And I was sort of surprised to see some talk on, on Yankee Twitter where people weren't happy about this. Like It seems to me that a one-year gamble on a guy who was one of the best pitchers in baseball is the sort of thing like, every team in baseball should be trying to do, or at least like, you know, 25 of the 30. It might not work, but right now, who's going to start game two of a playoff series for the Yankees behind Gary Cole? Jordan Montgomery, I guess. I mean, Severino, maybe he'll be healthy by then. Um, I really liked, I liked that a lot. Like, I thought that made just a, a ton of sense, uh, whether it works or not. Like, this is the sort of move that smart teams do. Like, the Dodgers do this all the time. Other teams have done this. I can't think of a downside here. If he gets hurt, he gets hurt, right? But this is what the Yankees need to be out there doing. Yeah, I think people might be forgetting, like because like Masahiro Tanaka has been so associated with the Yankees that he's a free agent, and right. so they don't have him right now. I could still see them bringing him back, but you know, Craig Edwards, Craig Edwards at Fangraphs wrote a piece, and the headline was Yankees raise their ceiling with Corey Kluber, and I kind of really, I really like that concept of like a a ceiling raiser versus a floor raiser. I was actually listening to Zach Lowe's NBA podcast, and he talked about that in the NBA. And it's a little bit of a different concept, the NBA, because he's talking more about like star level players. But I think it really applies to pitch starting pitching in baseball because you have, you know, like someone like Tanaka is more of a floor raiser or John Lester, where it's like, OK, well, he's not going to be great at this point. But like, you know, kind of know what you're getting. And he's probably going to he's probably going to give you, you know, 28 to 30 starts. And Kluber is definitely not that. He's the opposite. Like I think of in my mind going back, like the the the, the ultimate like ceiling raiser was like Rich Harden. Who was like when he when he pitched was amazing, but like didn't pitch that much. <laughs> but when he was healthy, you like he took your team to another level. And I think that that's sort of like, and I guess Rich Hill's kind of been like that in, in recent years. Um, and Kluber, I think for, for the Yankees for these purposes, is like that. Like they're going to be a good team, even if he gives them nothing. But if you get good Kluber, then they kind of separate themselves. I think is the best team in in the uh, American League. I'm not even talking about like Cy Young Kluber. I'm talking about like you know maybe even like. 85% of Cyan Kluber, which I think is more of a, a uh, not even a realistic goal, but like a high-end goal for, uh, uh, you know, a high-end hope for, for the Yankees. I can't remember the last time I thought about Rich Harden. And there was a time where I loved Rich Harden. Like, I, you know. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. Um, all right. Let's move on to our third aspect of our three-batter minimum. On Tuesday at, on MLB Network at six o'clock, the Hall of Fame announce, uh, result, election results will be announced Live MLB Now is actually going to go up there on Monday and do a show from Cooperstown. And on Tuesday, they will announce the results. And at the moment, I think it's tracking uh, that nobody is going to get in. And, you know, I think everybody knows the stories by now. You have Buns and Clemens, you have Kurt Schilling, 
You have Omar Vizquel. I'm looking at, at uh, Ryan Thibodeau's tracker right now. And the only guy's over 70%. You need 75% to get in. Uh, Bonds right now is at 71.8. Clemens at 71.2. I always love when there's somebody who chooses one of those guys, but not the other. It's like the most incongruous thing. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Todd Helton is is at 54%. That's pretty good. It's trending up. I don't think he's going to make it this year. Andrew Jones at 41%. Roland, Scott Roland is at 65%. I don't think he's going to get in, but I think he's going to get in next year. Kurt Schilling, 74.4%. He is going to, I think, miss by like one vote, and it's not going to be hard to figure out why. So I'm leaning towards nobody's going to get in. And I think I actually predicted that when the ballot came out two months ago. Is that where you're at? Yeah, actually, I, mean, I don't even think, you know, as I look more closely at this, I don't even think Schilling is going to be that close. Because if you look, you know, even most players, most players do a little bit worse on the, um, the, the, the people who do not publish their ballots in advance tend to be stingier and not vote for as many players. So generally speaking, what happens is a player will like kind of quote unquote lose support once they, they, all the ballots are, are, um, are revealed. So like Bonds and Clemens regularly are like at 70% of the public ballots and then end up at like 60% when all is said and done. And even Schilling last year on the his final number was 70%, but on the on the public ballots he was over 75%. So even last year he lost a fair amount of amount of, amount of support when you factored in the private ballots. And then this year because of sort of his um offensive uh stances on a variety of topics he, we have had a number of voters publicly say, I voted for him in the past. I'm not voting for him this year. So like the fact that he was already sort of like in that group of people who lose support once once all the ballots are revealed and the fact that you have people already saying, oh, I'm taking him off my ballot. Um, my guess is he he ends up, you know, fairly flat from last year and in, in, you know, around around the 70 percent range. Yeah, it also seemed for a minute like Omar Vizquel was picking up steam. He's only at 38.5% right now, which is which is down from last year. He was at 52%. I personally have never thought he is a Hall of Famer just on the merits of his on-field case. Um, and then obviously in December, there's a whole story came out accusing him of domestic abuse. Now, the ballots are due on December 31st. Obviously, you don't have to wait that long. So many people voted before that and then came out afterwards and said, well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have voted for him. So I actually think um, the number we're seeing for him is a little higher than it would be, and I think he's probably not going to make it. Like I said, I didn't think he was a Hall of Famer on the merits, and that's, I don't know, the whole thing is sort of a bummer because we're talking about all these guys not based on baseball, but all of the uh, occasionally horrible things that they have done, and <laughs> we're not going to probably have any new inductees this year. However, because of the pandemic, we did not have a ceremony last year. So if we are fortunate enough to have a ceremony this year, it will not be a lonely one, right? Larry Walker? Derek Jeter. I don't want to say not having the ceremony last year is a good thing because certainly it was not, but at least there's a silver lining here. We'll still have guys to induct this summer. Totally. Um, that is it for our three batter minimum. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with MLB.com as AJ Casavell to talk about Padres. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, 
medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. And we are joined by MLB.com Padres beat writer AJ Casavell, who, in addition to just being a cool guy we wanted to talk to, we felt like we needed to get on because, as you may or may not have heard, the Padres have made some moves um, in addition to the earlier giant moves for Blake, Sn- Blake Snell and you Darvish and signing Haseon Kim. They've now gone out and they have acquired another starting pitcher in Joe Musgrove, who's really interesting. And AJ, I got to ask, like, I imagine Padres fans are doing somersaults and for good reason. Like, I like Joe Musgrove a lot. This is really good. But the first thing that came to me was, I don't want to be like overly negative, but oh my God, is Denelson Lamette like not going to pitch this year? Because that's sort of the first thing, like they don't trust him. Is that accurate? I think that's accurate to some extent, but it's not, it's not to say that there's like some new development with how Denelson Lamette's thrown in the last month or two. I think the Padres always knew that going into this offseason after sustaining an elbow injury last year like and getting a PRP injection, they wouldn't be certain that he's 100% until he gets on the mound and pitches in games in spring training and shows them that he's 100%. And so I think A.J. Preller went into the playoffs last offseason with, with, with two guys who, were, who had health questions. And he got burned by it, and that's not exactly a fault of his own. I mean, he's he's put together a really good roster over time, but he didn't want to get burned going into 2021 in case the worst-case scenario arrives. So I think this is more of a case of planning for the possibility of a worst-case scenario while also acknowledging that if it's best-case scenario and if Denelson Lamette's healthy and awesome like he usually is, uh, then they have maybe the best rotation in baseball. Speaking of that rotation – how do you think, I mean, you hear a lot about the the Padres pitching depth, you know, because they, amazingly, they've managed to hold on to a lot of their top prospects in some of these trades that they've made, uh, starting with Mackenzie Gore, you know, the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball. How do you think that, how does that, that depth kind of line up? I mean, it's amazing to look at their depth chart and think of Chris Baddock, who was kind of like the flavor of the month a year ago as like their number five starter. Um, but if there is an injury to like Lamette, where do you think, you know, what who's, who's up next and how do you think that, that it stacks up? It's an interesting question because there there might not like they, they planned on before getting Joe Musgrove going into spring training with like a competition among all these really fun young pitchers and I still think that competition is there it's just not for a readily apparent spot right now and so if Denelson Lamette's hurt then you have Mackenzie Gore Ryan Weathers Adrian Morihone some young guys with really electric arms who could fill into that spot I mean I'm I'm extremely curious just as a, as a side note like what this all looks like in 2022 when Mike Clevenger's back that's it, it seems like a ridiculous collaboration of arms. But in, in the short term, if Denelson Lamette's healthy, then you have your starting five. And then you have, I think, I, I think the bullpen was a question mark coming into the offseason and signing or trading for Joe Musgrove maybe makes it less so because you can move guys like Ryan Weathers and Adrian Morihone into that bullpen mix. Uh, and Mackenzie Gore is now your probably number one guy in the minor leagues for the minute maybe 
the minute there's an injury or maybe a Chris Paddock hiccup, or you want to go to a six man rotation because it's a 162 game season this year versus 60, uh, then Mackenzie Gore, the top prospect in baseball, is is probably that guy. Yeah, I don't think AJ Preller having an active offseason is like ever a surprise, you know, given his track record. And I think it was also pretty clear ending at the uh, at the end of the season that this was a really good team, a team that could stand to be improved no matter what the Dodgers are doing. And even with all that said, are you surprised in any way at, at how much how fast has happened? Yes, I'm and I'll I'll add the caveat that yeah, I'm not really surprised with anything Preller does, but I'm I'm surprised with kind of how all in he went on starting pitching. And when I say all in, I don't necessarily mean like they gave up a lot of prospects because they did, but they managed to hang on to a big chunk of their farm system. I'm just more surprised that it, that, I mean, they had question marks in their rotation and they didn't like Blake Snell and you Darvish would have answered those question marks even without Joe Musgrove. But AJ Preller probably knows that the Dodgers are really, really, really good. And if you're going to beat the Dodgers, you need to be really, really, really good. And so you need to fill out the back end of your rotation with a guy like Musgrove who, I think has a ton of upside and he's obviously really interesting with what he did down the stretch last season. And so it makes a lot of sense in that regard. It's just not necessarily what we're accustomed to most teams doing, going out and adding three kind of big name starting pitchers to their rotation. Now, the one kind of big rumor out there that hasn't been addressed um, by the Padres yet this offseason is a contract extension for Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, now, obviously, they've got a, a bunch of big-name players signed for long-term deals, so there might be some – I don't know if there are concerns about maybe running into the competitive balance tax at some point. Where do you think – where do things stand with Tatis? Do you think it's going to happen? And if so, when do you think it's going to happen? So if I had to guess, and and there's I, I think there's a lot of things that still need to play out. If I had to guess, it's it's going to happen, but maybe not necessarily this off season. Uh, I think this is the off season where, I mean, there were there were some reports in the Twitter sphere and whatnot about this thing being pretty far along. It 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 is not at least up until now. Uh, this is the off season for probably engaging and seeing where the two sides are. I think there's a lot of different avenues. This potential contract extension could go it could be it could be shorter term and get Fernando Tatis a couple extra years at a at at a really nice amount of money and he still hits free agency in his prime at 28 or 29 it could be really long term where he sticks with the Padres essentially forever I think the Padres have kind of shown I had a little bit of an ownership shakeup earlier uh this offseason they've kind of shown that they're willing to that they're willing to spend and they've done that by taking essentially taking on the salaries of Blake Snell and you Darvish and, and saying we're going to spend the money and we're going to try and win. And that has to sit well with Fernando Tatis Jr.'s camp because I know he's, he, he is invested in wanting to be on the stage that, that the Padres kind of gave him last year, which was one of the most young, exciting teams in baseball. He wants to be on that stage and the Padres have kind of shown that they're willing to, to, to pay what it takes to be there. And so I, I think there's there's a lot of things that are kind of coming together, and this is maybe the, the offseason for engaging in those talks. But if I had to guess, uh, given – I mean, it's where the Padres are now is still essentially three years behind where the Mets are with Lindor. And so there's there's a lot of time left for this to happen. Both sides have expressed interest, and both sides have expressed how much they love uh, being where they are, being together. So I, I think it gets done, but I, I think maybe not until – potentially next offseason. AJ, I do want to go back to Musgrove for a minute because I I think he's going to get kind of lost in the big names in the rotation, right? Like you look at Snell and you look at Darvish and if Lamette is healthy, he's obviously been very good. And I think if you're maybe a casual fan, you'll look at Musgrove and you say, oh, wow, this guy's had a losing record every year of his career and his ERA 
for his career is 433, and he's just not that interesting to me. But you mentioned maybe some untapped upside there. And when this trade was made, I went back to a tweet uh, that our colleague Tom Harrigan had made. And what he did was he looked at every starter and every uh, every pitch type they had, you know, fastball, curveball, whatever. And he looked at everybody who had at least a 50% whiff rate, a swing and miss rate on two different kinds of pitches. And there were only two guys last year who did that. One of them was Shane Bieber, who had like an amazingly great season. And the other one was Joe Musgrove, who did it on both his slider and his curveball. And I, you know, it's almost, it's cheap and unfair to say, okay, this guy's going to get out of Pittsburgh and blow up just because we've seen that in the past. And I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. And yet I do think there's a lot of like breakout potential here. Like, is that, is that something they've already been talking about? Yeah, it's definitely one of the reasons he was so appealing to the Padres. He uh, and the Padres have had some success with guys like that who they basically said, "Hey, throw this pitch or throw these pitches a lot." I mean, it worked with Kirby Yates, Denelson Lamette. Uh, I I I think he's probably not at the level of what like Garrett Cole, Tyler Glasnow are because those guys have legit elite fastballs, and Musgrove doesn't have that. But his breaking pitches are so good that I mean he. His, his peripheral numbers last season were were awesome. Like he he allowed, I want to I say he was top ten percentile in strikeout rate and in average exit velocity against. And so he's like, he's making guys swing and miss, and when they make contact, it's not very good contact. And so there's like there's just so much to work with there with Joe Musgrove, and you're not gonna be you're not gonna be putting too much burden on him to sit at the front of a rotation like he was in Pittsburgh. You might even be able to give him that extra day of rest because of all this rotation depth. And you might even be able to allow him to kind of settle into what makes him good. And and uh, I, I think that's what intrigued the Padres the most is, is those kind of peripheral numbers. And he did seem to really be putting it together down the stretch last season. I don't want to read too much into what he did during a couple starts in September, but that is the pitcher. I think the Padres think Joe Musgrove can be. Now, AJ, um, as I mentioned earlier, that the Padres, for the most part in these trades, have managed to hold on to um, their their top, top prospects. I guess, you know, they traded Patino. Was it Patino? How do I pronounce it? Did I pronounce it correctly? Patino. Patino. Um, well, I guess was one of their top five guys or so. But for the most part, it seems yeah. that they've managed to hold on to their best guys. Do you think there is a point where, like, they just, like, get to the point where, like, okay, we got to beat the Dodgers, where they would, you know, maybe trade a Gore to get that one last piece and like is there the, is there a missing piece on this roster right now that you could see that the making that kind of trade I think there there is a point where they would get to that and the point is not this offseason or anytime soon I think they've they've set themselves up that their window all these trades they've made even dating back to the trade deadline for the big names they've gotten have been multiple years on all these guys like Musgrove and Darvish and Snell and Clevenger like all they have all these guys through 2022 2023 in some cases 20 longer than that and so I think they there is a point down the road and the Padres still have a deep enough farm system where maybe if things aren't if if they need something obvious to get over that hump they give up a top prospect like a CJ Abrams in the future but that's like not even close to being on their agenda right now because they think they've built a pretty good team and kind of want to roll with it and see where it goes. Now, I have a question for you. And actually, AJ, I don't want you to answer this. It's a question for Matt because I have to imagine uh, that you know the answer to this. There are so many offensive superstars on this lineup. Matt, who had the highest OPS plus for the Padres last year? Will Myers. Will Myers, which yes. is like the wildest thing. It's not Tatis and it's not Machado and it's not Trent Grisham, who I love, and it's not Hosmer and it wasn't Jake Cronenworth. It was Will Myers. And... I know that, you know, everything goes with like a short season. Um, 
But I, I mean, I've always kind of liked Will Myers, and he was one of a lot of guys in the Padres who did a good job of cutting down their chase rate. And for a guy who I think everybody was like, oh man, when are they going to dump that contract? When can they get rid of him? Is he like a guy now? I mean, he's not Tatis, I get it. But is he like the best number six hitter in the game? Or how much of this are you buying? I think I'm buying it because as long as the Padres stay the way they are, I, I don't I don't like to read too much into these external factors, like just how, how a guy's feeling. But when Will Myers was playing on the 2016 to 2019 Padres, like that was that was tough on him. He he wasn't having I don't think a ton of fun playing for teams that were really really bad. And it wore on him as the seasons went on and he always kind of had these stretches like he did in the 60 game season in 2020. He always had stretches like this, but when when the team's a 70 win team, I I I think he maybe it, that affected him and maybe disengaged him a little bit whereas I, I've never seen Will Myers have as much fun as he had last season. And so if we take the fun factor into account and throw it in with like just the fact that he's a really, really good hitter and a useful player and a good defensive right fielder and fast and he can do a lot of different things. And if you put him in the number six spot in the lineup and you tell Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer, like you guys kind of carry the middle of it and Will Myers is just sitting behind you guys to knock you in. Like that's a really scary lineup and it's where I think Will Myers fits best. And so yes, I am buying. I'm I'm buying what Will Myers did in 2020 because I I think there's something to the the situation being what allowed him to thrive. Yeah, I, I think I am too. AJ, one last question, and we'll let you go. And I don't want to totally put you on the spot, but I'm going to anyway. Are the Padres right now as good as the Dodgers? I I don't think so right now. I, I think they're they're close. And I I if if I'm and I'm not an expert on the rest of the league, but if I'm looking at it, I think they're probably one two in baseball. And I think there's also something to be said about getting close, about getting to that point where one injury or one postseason series can swing it. Like you don't have to be the best team in Major League Baseball to win the World Series. You have to be good enough to put yourself in a situation where you can beat the best team in baseball in a short series, or you can beat the best team in baseball if they, in, in, in the regular season, if they, if something goes wrong there. So I still have the Dodgers as my favorites in the national league West, but baseball is such that the Padres are in a place where they, it, it's not inconceivable that they win the West or that they make a serious push to the world series and beat the Dodgers in the postseason. Yeah. As we've been saying on the show, I plan to watch a considerable amount of West Coast baseball this year. And uh, in that sense, I'm a little jealous of you because those games don't start at 10 o'clock your time. And that sounds wonderful to me right now. AJ Casavell, our Padres.com beat writer. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. 
That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Our thanks to AJ Casavell. This is the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast with Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. As we referenced earlier in the show when we were talking about Jason Castro, each week Matt and I pick a free agent we should kind of be talking more about. Um, I think I jokingly said to Matt last week, maybe this should be JT Ormuto because we're not talking about him at all somehow. But my guy is going to be Tommy Lastella. He is uh, an infielder. He turns 32 at the end of this month. And for the first five years of his career, he was kind of a half-decent bench bat for the Cubs and the Braves. And I think if you knew him at all, it was because of that whole incident where he got demoted to AAA with the Cubs and then refused the report and didn't want to uh, and eventually came back. But, you know, he was a a decent left-handed bench bat, uh, never really a starting player. And then in 2019, he slugged 486 and hit 16 homers and 321 plate appearances for the Angels. And then this last year, he had a 5.3% strikeout rate. That is the lowest in Major League Baseball, and that's what everybody's trying to look for now is contact, but not slap hitting contact. You want someone who can actually hit for power, and he has. Over the last two years, he's combined for a 124 weighted runs created plus, 24% above average. That is the 12th best lefty on righty, lefty hitting on righty pitching line in the majors. Um, He's mostly a platoon bat, right? He's not unplayable against lefties. He's not Jock Peterson. Uh, He's not as good against righties as Peterson is, but he's not as bad against lefties either. And he's an infielder. He's not a great defender, but, you know, can play a little bit of first, second, and third. Like, I call him a a off-brand lefty DJ LeMahieu, you know, who's not nearly as good on defense. But listen, a guy like that, he fits in so many places. I think the Yankees he would fit with. I think the Blue Jays he could fit with. There's a ton of teams that could use a a lefty contact hitter who can hit righties and play three different infield spots. That feels like, you know, not your star acquisition of the winter, but maybe the, the cherry on top for a championship roster. Leave it to you, a guy from New Jersey, to be out here promoting the Jersey guy. That's of right. Course, I, I know. I know how it goes. Next week, it's going to be Todd Frazier. Um, no, did you know he's from New Jersey? Todd Frazier is not only from New Jersey; he's from the next town over from me. My town bordered his town. My first girlfriend in high school was from his town, and I remember watching him in that Little League World Series 105 years ago. Um, no, I mean, Listella, because of just because of being the lefty bat and being able to play a couple positions. Um, a really useful piece um, on any number of rosters. So yeah, I think the the um, the Yankees would make sense. And you, I mean, Mike actually wrote a piece this week about how the Yankees could use a lefty bat, and so and he included Listella in there. So um, I encourage you to go and uh, uh, read the piece. Um, so for my free agent, we should just be speaking more about. I'm actually going to go back to what I was talking about about you know ceiling raisers versus floor raisers and. Among available starting pitchers, there aren't really a lot of like reliable floor raisers left. And I said this recently in a podcast when I talked about Masahiro Tanaka in this place, in this space, competent innings are going to be as crucial in 2021 as they were in 2020. You have a lot of pitchers who didn't, who didn't throw a lot of innings last year. So I think they're probably going to be either a teams are going to want to baby their guys a little bit more than usual or uh, and I, I'm not rooting for this, but I just think it's realistic to expect a fair amount of in, uh, injuries when you're when you see pitchers who are going to try and ramp up from like 40 innings pitch to 150 or two or maybe even 200. It's just a hard thing to do. And Odorizzi had a weird year last year. He had like a he had a a back strain that he suffered during um, summer camp, then a chest contusion when he was hit by a line drive off the bat of Alex Gordon, and then a blister. Um, so a couple of kind of fluky injuries in there. 
But from 2014 through 2019, he averaged 30 starts per year, um, a minimum of 28 starts in that span, a maximum of 33, so really consistent. Next year will be his age 31 season, so he's not really old. He's, you know, he's sort of like in what would be considered sort of the the, the late prime of his career. Um, and, you know, in 2019, he was really good. Um, his last full season, he increased his cutter usage. He doubled it up to like 18% and had a 3.51 ERA. And he actually played last year having accepted the qualifying offer um, from the Twins, which means he couldn't get it again, which means that if you sign him, he's not going to cost you a draft pick. Um a lot of these like mid-tier starters are going off the board. Jose Quintana this week, John Lester, Jay Happ. I sort of think that like, you know, like Tanaka seems to be very picky about where he wants to play. Maybe it's only the Yankees or going back to play in Japan. There's been rumors about that. Trevor Bauer's obviously going to cost a lot more than Odorizzi. I, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't think he's going to get like, you know, a huge deal, but I could see like almost like a mini bidding war for someone like Odorizzi at this point, just being like, he might almost be in a weird, like kind of like, tier by himself below Bauer and above like the kind of rest of rest of like the flotsam that's out there. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's also been a handful of teams that have come out and said, we're going to use a six man rotation next year. And whether that lasts all season, I don't know, but I think it makes sense because obviously everybody coming off the shortened season, it's going to be tough to have them build back up. And when you look at the free agents among starting pitchers, yes, obviously Bauer is number one. Uh, Tanaka may go back to Japan. And then it's like, do you bet on James Paxton to stay healthy? You know, do you, do you think Rick Porcello is any good? Can Chris Archer stay healthy? Can Garrett Richards stay healthy? Is Adam Wainwright going to go anywhere that's not St. Louis? And then you're sort of into, you know, Mike Leake, Jake Arrieta. I guess I like Taiwan Walker a little bit. Like, it, there's a lot of guys, but like lowercase g guys, you know, it thins out pretty quickly. And I think Odorizzi is one of the, you know, I don't want to say he's high ceiling because I don't think he's like a secret ace or anything but maybe the guy who can give you um some of the best innings now we usually end the show where matt and i do a rant but uh we're not going to do that this week because it's been a a good week and we have nothing negative to say and also neither one of us had a good one but we'll try to do better next week thank you for listening to our show that'll do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening to the ballpark dimensions podcast see you next week